Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. After a spurt of momentum in 2020, the industry is in a state of stasis when it comes to making progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's why a group of industry leaders launched Black Week last month, a new conference aimed to reframe the conversation about DEI in order to push action and economic progress for historically underrepresented groups. Andre Gray, Chief Creative Officer at Annex 88, is one of the co-founders of Black Week. He hopes the forum helps finally move historically underrepresented groups into the center of conversations and business decisions where they belong. In this episode, he chats about Black Week's vision as well as the current state of DEI and advertising and why now is the time to double down. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Andre. Hi. I am so excited you're here live with me in the studio today. Yes. You are my first guest to come in person, so this is really exciting. Amazing, amazing. There's something so important, I think, about being in person, like just the the energy, the reactions, and I think especially when you're when you're doing conversations and stuff, like... It's been a it's been a big emphasis of mine just to it's just not the same. You yeah, know, you don't have the same energy when you're not in person. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So we're going to talk about Black Week, which is a new conference that you are one of the founders of. Congratulations on launching that. Thank you. Um, but first, tell me a little bit about you and your role in the industry. Talk about Annex 88 and, and what you guys are all about. Yeah, um, a bit about me. <laughs> I'm a Leo. Um, <laughs> I'm an Aries. So. Yeah. No, but, <laughs> Fire um, signs unite. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, um, a bit about me. I mean, I think I'm coming into kind of three or four years being back in New York. You know, I spent the, the bulk of my career. I was out in Europe. I was in Paris for five years. Uh, I was in Amsterdam for three years. Um, I was global lead on Adidas on the, on the agency side, you know, with TBWA. Originally born in New York from San Francisco. I think like my background is is really being at home in the world and being in a lot of different spaces and translating things from culture to culture, even if it's the simplicity of moving from San Francisco, where I was living, to Marin, where I was going to high school, you know, or, or going then to Oakland or to, to San Jose, where I was playing basketball. There's just so many cultures overlapping. And I think I've always been a person who kind of moved things from culture to culture. And I think that's kind of core to the success that I've had because I do approach all things from the perspective, you know, that I got as I think uh, a black studies major at Amherst College, which is like there's always a have and have not dichotomy of every situation. There are people who control the situation and people who don't. And how do you make sure you account for that when you move forward? And I think that's core to kind of the practice, you know, at Annex 88, right? Um, We talk a lot, like our main metric is, will it make the group chat, right? And so I think that's a funny thing because it sounds simple. And I think a lot of what we do at Annex 88 is like use very simple processes, not because we don't know about SWOT analysis and whatever, dashboards and AI generative. I don't even know what you're using. Um, but because this thing is about people, it's not, it does, we don't have to make it complicated. I think a lot of times I think as marketers and people in the industry, we try to create a language so that 
we create value. Everything becomes an acronym. So no one knows what you just said. It's Mm -hmm. like, just say it plainly. Um, But, you know, at Annex, we talk about ourselves as a, um, a culture first agency. And I think it's important, like we're not trying to make work only for historically underrepresented communities, but we're always going to think about them Mm -hmm. while we're making the work. Right. I think a great example of that is, is, you know, for JBL, for instance, we did, uh, we did the the world's first fashion, uh, fashion show on snowboards um, last year at NBA all-star weekend. Snowboarding is a perfect example of a culture that, you know, it should be more mainstream than it is. It's still not exactly mainstream. And, you could easily just put snowboarding in some sort of activation or in an ad and, and just keep it moving and no one's going to say anything about it. Mm-hmm. But we're like, hey, well, that's not how we go about doing it. So we're like, let me go find someone who's authentic to the space. We went and tapped in with, with Russell Winfield, who's the first black pro snowboarder. And everything that's born from that decision made it so much more authentic so that when you have the snowboarders there, they're all having an energy that is authentic, that's palpable, that they're like, you know, this feels different than other stuff that I've done. They keep posting for two, three, four months after the campaign yeah. because it was representative at its core. And I think that's the that's the goal. Yeah. I like how you describe it as like we're not just trying to make work for historically underrepresented communities, but they're at the center of everything is it's just like a more modern way of thinking of reaching like the general. So so, like I'm doing air quotes, general market because the population is changing. And if you're not including these historically excluded groups or putting them at the center of your strategy, then you're going to miss out. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think that's a big push. Obviously when we get to talking about black week, I think that's super important, right? Because one of the things that's been top of mind for me and, and, and part of going into black week and also coming out of can last year, I think there's been a lot of talk about the buying power of, of the black community and, and of the black and Brown community. I think that really is a gross underselling of the opportunity. Yeah. Right. Like black people uh, to use them as an example, right. We've invented, Modern pop music is built from house music. House music comes from house parties, which come from rent parties, which come from Chicago, Baltimore, New York, places that black and brown people needed to pay their rent. So they had a party at their house, mm-hmm. not sweetest house mafia, right? <laughs> like that's not where that comes from, right? Yeah. We've also invented light bulbs. So it's like, we all like light bulbs. You know what I mean? Like there's a disproportionate <laughs> impact. You know, I think the, the honest thing is there's a reverse correlation between historical exclusion and and the historical under-resourcing that comes with it mm-hmm. and creativity, right? Because what is real creativity? Like, oh man, how do I invent a food that I could feed my family for five days and I have one bone and like three potatoes? Oh, I invent curry. But look at just curries as an example, right? You go, whether you go to Southeast Asia, you go to uh, South Asia, you go to South America, you go to, you know, Africa. These are all places that have come to similar conclusions. Take water, take juices, take spices, Mm -hmm. take a little bit of meat and make it last for a long time. That's real creativity. And that's the thing that I think the industry has lost out on over the years. And so when companies or or industry leaders say, we want to be the most creative company in the industry. I'm like, well, unless you're purposefully over-indexing on hiring historically under, under-resourced people, that's not true. That's like saying, I'm going to be the best basketball player in the world. I'm going to act like the NBA doesn't exist and just start a league with me and my three friends. Like, yeah. 
who are like short white people. Right, right, right. <laughs> I for said example, it. For example, for example, for um, example. So, okay, so this all is a good segue into Black Week, which mm. is a new conference taking place in October that aims to break the mold of typical industry conferences and the way mm. that we talk about DE&I. So talk to me about like, how did this idea come together? What mm. was the impetus for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Black Week was really born from a need, right? Like we looked at like the conferences and you look at the year and the schedule and what's coming up and we just didn't feel like the conversation was being had that that we felt was needed. I think from a timing perspective, we also, there's shifts in, in zeitgeist, right? Obviously 2020, there was like this racial awakening and, it, and it's very funny, like a lot of people look at 2020 and they say, oh my God, it was so terrible. And like, there were obviously terrible things, but I'm like, everyone realized that it was shit for some people. Mm -hmm. That's good because it was shit the whole time. You know what I mean? And so, you know, out of that was a lot of, a lot of conversation about how do we, you know, whether it's representation or diversity or what have you, and a lot of talking and not a lot of action. And I feel like we're kind of in a moment of like, let's get back to regularly scheduled racism. You know what I'm saying? Like people <laughs> yeah. are just like, cool. Yeah. So we're going to just go back to what we were doing before and just act like that didn't happen. And, and we're kind of like, hold on, like it's actually the time to double down and, and put the foot on the gas and, and get to action. Yeah, I think you're right. Like we've noticed that in our reporting, just there was a whole frenzy of like eager announcements of like chief DEI officers and new programs. And that's really quieted down in the past couple of years with layoffs, cost cuts, a lot of, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion leaders are being laid off. So I guess why a conference? Like, why is this the right forum? Because there's so many conferences, like mm. you said, and a lot of them aren't doing it right. So why is this the right forum? And how are you going to make sure that like real tangible things and, and things that are actionable are discussed? Yeah, I think a conference is a format that is familiar, right? Um, and whether you think of a conference and you think of, you know, say, CultureCon or ComplexCon, right? Or VidCon, right? These are, you know, on a scale of of brownness to popularity to whatever, right? Like that's a version. Or um, you think of COPA 26, right? Like that's also a conference, right? Like this is a format that I think works because it should be senior decision makers and leaders, people who can take action, which we still exist in very hierarchical structures, forcibly given the space to concentrate. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you're given the space to focus on one thing and you're given the space to discuss, you should be able to come together and, and, and come to action. So I think that's why it's a conference, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think our, our big thing, similar to when you look at uh, the can lions, right? Like, I was talking with Simon Cook the other day and it's like, there are lots of opportunities to speak at Cannes, right? Whether it's in the Palais or whether it's in every beach or whatever, none of those things exist without the awards. Right? Yeah. There's an action at the core. And I think that's the core of Black Week is we want it to be action oriented, mm -hmm. right? What do we need to discuss? Who do we need to speak with during this week so that we can move business by Friday? Yeah. Right. And so I think that's why it's a conference. It's a week of of action 
to lead to action outcomes. Yeah. So how are you thinking about um, the programming? Like, what do you want to cover in this conference? How do you want to like get, do you want to have like room for people to like sort of get together and make deals? Like, cause we've all been at conferences where it's like three white people on a panel talking about diversity. And obviously yeah. we're not trying to do that That's here. Crazy. So talk about how you want to make the programming really intentional to achieve that. Yeah. I think the programming has to be born from the conversations that are needed. Right. And so I think the way we think about it is when you look at different verticals and I'll take a few examples, let's say, uh, media, let's say agency briefs, let's say talent, mm -hmm. right? If we look at those three verticals, we want to bring in pre-conference partners that are willing to put that business on the table, right? So the talent conversation is super simple, right? You know, wh whoever you are, could be, could be even Campaign US, could be an agency, could be a brand. I have 10 people I want to hire. I'm like, okay, so give me your hiring managers. And if it's three people or seven people or two people, whoever can make this decision, and what would they need to see from these candidates during this week so they can have a sign an intent to hire by the end of the week? Mm. Right. So after that, what programming do you need? Right. Well, my programming can be portfolio building, interviews, et cetera. So now that I have the opportunity, I can take the candidates and I can make them better. And that might mean that they can't sign this go around, but next time that will be the perfect candidate, right? I think the same thing is for agency briefs, right? I, I think also back to our conversation on general market versus, you know, what's historically kind of, uh, um, you know, cultural marketing or whatever. I don't even know what people call that. Was, the whole thing's kind of crazy, but um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go to a client and say, give me your black briefs, give me your Hispanic briefs. I'm like, I want a portion of your, core business, right? Because at the end of the day, my point on light bulbs and pop music is that historically underrepresented people make the things that move business, mm. right? Rap music sells records, period. It fills stadiums, period, right? The Grammys were last night, right? Yep. Make the math, math, right? That's what Jay-Z is trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if these things move business in all these other industries and we consider ourselves to be a creative industry, then why are we not moving business in that way? Yeah. So yes, Pampers, I would like your main brief. There's, I'm sure there is a black maternal health brief that exists. I do know that exists, but I want a portion of your main business. Here's a, here's a million dollar brief, 500 agency fee, 500 production. And then the question is, what do you need to see during this week? in order for you to sign over that business to a black or brown run agency by the end of the week. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Now, now that we have that as a core, that's the award show. Now we can have conversations that prepare ourselves to be better for the next time. Right? right. But black week represents access to the best of the black and brown zeitgeist, which is the zeitgeist that moves and makes, you know, the best ideas in this industry. Yeah. And you, and black week is, is not having awards, right? Like intentionally? No, uh, there's not awards at this current moment. I don't know what that looks like in the future. I mean, also to be completely honest, it's a, it's a malleable thing. Yeah. You know, I think when we talk to partners and we talk to people, we're not sitting here saying, Hey, we know all the answers. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's with a lot of, you know, anything I would do from a um, inclusion perspective, I'm pretty much like, just do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like just don't do what we normally do. Try anything, grace and space for like, <laughs> doing well and doing poorly and trying to make something better. And I don't say that as if we're going to 
do anything but excellent. I say it just to say we're open to ideas on yeah. on how we make this right. And yeah. I think coming to awards, awards are great, but like they need to have meaning, they need to have purpose, and they need to have clout. It's it's very difficult to unseed the Grammys. Mm-hmm. If someone could do it, they probably would have already. Yeah. And and so that's a whole different task, I think, than what we're trying to do, which is like when we talk about Black Week, we talk about it as an economic forum, right? Mm-hmm. This is a place to go do and move business. Yeah. That's our focus. Yeah. So how do you think about sponsorship in that context? Like, obviously, you I'm assuming you want to work with brands that like meet some kind of criteria for inclusion. Right. So how are you thinking about like which partners you bring on? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question, right? Because I think you can you can approach it to say who has done well, which I'd probably say everyone's doing pretty shit. Yeah. Or you can say who who has the opportunities, right? And I think that as the founders of Black Week, I think we're all pretty clear on we do not own the supply chain, mm-hmm. right? So again, back to my NBA example, we can all act like our league on the side is going to be the best thing for this and that and the third. But the ceiling of that is probably to cause some sort of disruption and get bought by the NBA because the NBA owns the brand of basketball. Right. So I'm, I think we're more interested in saying, Hey, NBA, how do you give us a shot? Yeah. And then we can prove ourselves out and we can do what we, we know we will do rather than saying, Hey, you've done well or you've done poorly. I mean, I think coming back to the numbers, you know, it's like, I think the industry average in 21 was 6% black people. That was like Forbes or whatever. I'm sure it's, it might be worse now with the layoffs. Cause you know, they're yeah. going to affect black and brown people disproportionately. And I, and I think a lot of the conversation then was that in context of the 13%, you know, black people in America. But I think that's a little bit horseshit when you put yourself in context of, you know, we're, we're both in New York, right. In Midtown, like it's 23% black people in New York. Mm-hmm. So 6%, you're, you're half less than half of the nationwide average and much worse. My math's not so mathy, but much worse compared to where you're actually at. Right. And, and so you're selling yourself, Oh, well, we're doing better than 4%. It's like, okay, you're not even trying. Right? right. And I sit here, you know, as a person that within the first three months of, of starting at Annex and granted we're a, we're a 30 some odd person agency. Um, but we're, we're all POC led, right? Obviously you have, you know, me as a, you know, one of the less than 20, you know, black people in the Mm -hmm. C-suite, uh, CCOs, sorry. I'm in this industry. Um, we're 75% people of color, 58% women Mm -hmm. and and 45% black. And those numbers don't happen by accident. You have to make choices and you have to make space and you have to teach and and recognize talent and nurture and create safe spaces for people. Mm-hmm. You can't just put them into the same environments and expect them to be successful. Um, but I, I will probably fist fight anyone who tries to tell me it's not possible. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little, a little bit because you have this experience of building a really diverse culture, an inclusive culture. What, like, how do you move that progress to 
more like general agencies, I guess. I'm still using this terminology mm, that mm, is mm. outdated. Maybe we can talk about that at Black Week, how to yes. change the <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> how to change the terminology. Yeah. But yeah, how like what advice do you have for like some of the larger agencies that are like still not getting this right? Yeah. Um stop with the filibustering, stop with the auditing and and just go ask ask the black and brown people that are there. Yeah. Right? Like this was that was my big thing 2020, 21. And I think this is a thing that happens, you know, whenever there's a want for inclusion, mm-hmm. right? They're like, oh, great. So we're going to include people. We want to do it. Let's audit. This process <laughs> is going to take four years. And I'm just like, They'll I, be don't, gone by right, the I don't need an audit. I walk into an office. I find a black person. I say, yo, what's going on? They say, this is fucking terrible. I said, cool. Audit. Done. <laughs> It's terrible. I don't need to know the details of how terrible it is. It's terrible. And I think we lose sight of the fact that you have to take action. You have to take action. You have to empower and you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't qualify Annex 88 as a non-general market agency. Mm -hmm. I think we are. We're just a smaller one. Mm -hmm. And smaller entities are easier to change more quickly than larger entities. I think the main difference from like an org structure perspective is you you have to be a lot more intentional and you have to get more people on board yeah. in a larger place. It is possible. I think the other issue is that, you know, and, and probably one of my biggest kind of disappointments being, there's a few big disappointments I have being back in New York, which, you know, don't everyone in New York try to beat me up. But if we don't, you know, I come from a sports background, right? Like if you go get dunked on, like you have to watch the tape with your teammates. It's a humbling process, but it allows you to just look at it. Like it's plain. You got scored on. It is what it is. Like you can't just act like it didn't happen. I think we we try to go like, no, that meeting wasn't that bad. Like, no, nah, what no, nah, that didn't go well. Let's yeah. learn from it, right? And I think one of the things about creative agencies in New York is I I I think there's a pull towards comfort and a pull towards process at all costs. Like, especially I think. You know, we we all went into this kind of like remote working and hybrid and now we've rejiggered our lives. And so it's like, no, work is not the middle of my life. Like it's a part of my life. And that's great. But you can't innovate and change and make things better for the world, especially at an industry that is I think advertising is the biggest influence on our lives that we control the least. Mm -hmm. Right. We curate what we eat. We curate what we watch. Yeah. okay, I wish I could eat a different quality of foods because I live in America. And if I live somewhere else, it might be different, but I can still kind of decide if I'm eating pork or if I'm eating fish, right? We don't control the ads that are around us. And if this influence is a great responsibility and people aren't approaching it as such. So go find black and brown people. They know the answers, right? They will empower and galvanize all historically underrepresented groups because we are all in these things together Mm -hmm. and we want the same change and then be used to being uncomfortable. I think we, we are in offices trying to be like, we got to have a hundred percent good meetings. We have to always be comfortable. It's like, that's not how change works in any other thing, right? You go to the gym, the reps that you do when you're comfortable, don't do anything. When your muscles start to hurt, You're like, this is what I need. This is what I need to do. And we do the opposite in offices. And then we wonder why our shit just becomes bland. Yeah. And I think the work right now is pretty bland. Yeah. And I think we'll see that this weekend at the Super Bowl. Like a lot of the work is just very 
vanilla. vanilla. <laughs> oh, crazy. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, like, so Annex 88 is, is part of Havas, right? Mm. So like, do you ever find that like your, your ambitions for the culture at your agency, like buttheads with Havas as a larger holding company? And how do yeah. you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say buttheads, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that I have personal relationships with the, with the leadership at Havas, you know, um, people like, you know, Donna Murphy that, you know, are really invested in, in doing things differently. I think on the flip side, you know, it's, it's more so both sides acknowledging what we're doing, right? We can think very quickly and move very quickly as like a small thing and they're a very big thing. And so how do those two things work in conjunction and how do we create examples that can then be extrapolated to different parts of, of Havas? And how do we also temper our, you know, uh, probably urgency with the some of the structural realities that exist? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's one of the, I always talk about this, um, I think it's a LeBron commercial, God gave me the gift of court vision. It's like, you, because you can see it, you want to do it. You know, like I can see a sandwich. Why don't I have a sandwich already? What's well, like, well, first of all, I got to get out of this couch. I got to go, you know what I mean? Like I can't just do it right away. Yeah. And, and I think that's really <clears throat> what innovation and change and leadership is all about, right? It's about in the same moment, having the vision that is very far, but having a complete urgency in mm-hmm. every day. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you go to sleep, Trust that you did everything you could do today. When you wake up, have have an invigorated urgency to try and make it happen. Yeah. Going back to like just the lack of progress over the past couple of years. After, yeah, it's a standstill. Yeah. After 2020, like I think what what role do like clients and marketers play in that? Every role. Yeah. Talk about that. Because I think on the one hand, they do control the purse strings and everything, but then I don't know if agencies are trying to like pawn it off on like, oh, it's our clients asking us to do things and that's why we can't be better. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. You know, I think everyone can be the change that they want to see in the world and that they need. Right. And I and I think that um, not only being in this industry, do you have a great responsibility? I think when you look at uh, young people, you know, uh, which makes me sound old and like a curmudgeon, but it's like. I just, I don't like these like bucketed, you know, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever, yeah. like you can call it whatever you want. They're not all going to be the same, but younger people want, they don't get it. They're like, they're like, I don't understand why y'all being racist. I don't understand why you're being sexist, why you can't just figure out how to, this person identifies as they, them just figure it out. Like yeah. this shit is not that they, cause they grew up with that. Yeah. Right. And so if we're going to sit here and run industry and run business that holds the purse strings, which dominates the opportunity and we're not, we're going to be so fucking lazy that we don't want to get ourselves out of the way to make it better for them. That sounds like a disgrace and a disservice. And these people are your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, so Again, we're just looking at the tape. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying you go home and you, I'm sure you love your kids, but you're not doing the work to make the world better for them. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that is a personal responsibility that you can take on. And when you look at leaders like, say, a Mark Pritchard, and I'm not going to say, you know, 
there's no perfect examples, but he took it upon himself to make some moves. Yeah. I'm not saying he made all the moves. I'm not saying everything is perfect, but he's made hard, long lasting commitments, which do move industry. And they do put people in positions to be successful. And everyone has the power to do that. And when you look at the impact of, of that, those efforts on PNG's business, or you look at, you know, AB InBev, you know, winning marketer of the year a couple of years ago, like you put these things into place and they move business. Mm-hmm. And so there is no longer an excuse to say, this is not good for my business. This is the only way your business is going to beat out on the sea of sameness and all of the, you know, the digitized pre-planned programmatic, this and that. And the third, that's going to get you to 80% success, which means a hundred percent of, I don't remember what the fuck you just said to me because yeah. it was boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like AB and Bev, we've kind of, I mean, last year, the the situation with Dylan Mulvaney, like really put a chill on mm. a lot of brands wanting to speak out, not just about pride, but like about anything because they were right. afraid of getting it wrong, alienating consumers. Like, do you think that that's having still having an impact on brands being bold and wanting to like push for change? I think the the rules are different, right? You can't, you know, who's going to go play a game and, and, and say, I'm only going to play if I'm going to win. Yeah, You got to you got to change that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at, you know, I mean, look at a think, think of popular personalities that might have said something that you might disagree with in the past year. And yes, they might get canceled, quote unquote, or whatever, but they don't go away. And when they atone and they grow. Right. Like this is the point. Right. Like I'm 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 working on a a draft of. of, of my book, which is, uh, you know, called brands are people too, right? Like this is a, the, the personification, the anthropomorphizing of brands is a literal psychological phenomenon. This is not my opinion. This is like, when I see a thing that is foreign to me, I think about it. Like I think about myself, mm-hmm. a brand is a thing you can't touch. Right. And I think the old school thought of like, it's my brand. I own it. Like you don't own it. Like it's owned by like the collective zeitgeist. Like it's owned by the world as such. We can feed ideas into it. But if brands are people, we, we don't, we're not in the eighties, right? Where every story, you know, I won. Like, we don't want that. We want the, the, the Morbus, you know what I'm saying? We want Mm -hmm. the hero that's kind of fucked up, but like we could relate to them because they got an alcoholism problem, but they're battling with it. But at the end of the day, they're always going to make the right choice. Like you're allowed to do good and do poorly as long as you're honest, as long as you're transparent and as long as you atone for your mistakes. And so stop using that as an excuse because quite quite frankly, it's lazy. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go try to play basketball because I might lose. Who, who? Okay. Yeah. And then it goes back to, you don't learn unless you try and lose and right, fail. Right. You yeah. have to fail and fail hard. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that that's important. Right. And I think we have to give ourselves grace and space. And that's what I feel like as was so crazy because we're doing all this and we're holding ourselves to these standards. When there's a new generation of people that are next consumers that all would give us grace and space and spades. So what are we squeezing our butt cheeks for? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? They, they're, they're like, Hey, we still love Kanye. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me try to figure out why. Yeah. That's the question. Not yeah. trying to decide whether they're right or wrong. Cause that's not up to you. Right. Right. What keeps you like inspired and motivated mm. to keep like pushing on this? Because it's exhausting, I'm sure, mm. to just continue to like run up against barriers and 
you know, have to keep like saying the same things over and over again? Like what keeps you motivated? Yeah. I think that I'm super blessed to have orchestrated uh, a moment in my life where my purpose is in complete alignment with the things I do every day. And whether it makes a complete sense to everyone around me, I can draw a line directly between the people I want to inspire and impact, which I will always get up and I will always take the punches and I will always fight every single day to make the world better because I don't want anyone to deal with the shit that I've dealt dealt with in any sense. And that's a naive thought, but I'm a naive, like romantic person. You know what I'm saying? And that draws a straight line to whether it's black week, whether it's my practice at annex 88, whether it's my, you know, nonprofit, you know, Maison foundation, you know, which is a registered 501 C three, you know, whether it's, it's coming on this podcast, right? Like I, you know, you, you send me a message, you send me an opportunity to come on this podcast. And I literally changed my flight and flew from LA to be here, to be here in person. Right. Cause these Thank things you. are important, right? Like I was on a panel last week and I'm like, if I'm not going to take the privilege of having a microphone to say the real shit, like what, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. You know? And so I don't lack any type of motivation. Do I still have the times, of course, where I'm sitting there saying like, God damn, this can't be that hard. Like, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. And and those are the times I need to humble myself and just say, look, just because you can see something and, and see it very clearly, one doesn't mean it's completely right. And it doesn't also mean everyone else can see it. And so what is the gap between your vision and, and others? What is the gap between your intention and the impact that's being had? And that's that's all that life is about is, yeah. is, is empathy and consciousness. And I think that going back to what can agency leaders do, what can brand leaders do, what can clients do, make it a priority and all I think anyone can ask, right? And I say this as a, as a, as a, as a black man, as a Jewish man, as a um, black studies major, right? I understand these things in first person participant research, but also as an academic, like all I can ask for is empathy and consciousness. I'm not asking you not to do racist things. It's impossible. This is the system. I'm saying when you go to do it, just think, Oh, hold on. That was, why'd I do that? Mm -hmm. That was not in alignment with what I would naturally do if I was just treating people correctly. That's the only thing we're asking for. Because if you do it right or you do it wrong, right? There's no losing. There's only winning and learning. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We'll give you grace. You say, hey, look, you know, I used to love it. You know, when I would take, I would take classes at my Holyoke and Smith, you know, and and take these gender studies classes. And they were so exciting because it was like, whatever you say in here, say whatever you want. Because either you're going to say something that's right, or if you say something that's wrong, that's just representing the general male patriarchy and zeitgeist, which is like, we need to talk about that. And I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. The pressure is off me, you know? Yeah. And and those are the moments where you learn. You go accidentally say some super, you know, sexist, and then you're like, damn, okay, I've, I don't really feel that way. So why did I say that, mm-hmm. you know? And unless you're willing to be vulnerable in that way and willing to be uncomfortable, like we got to all get a little more excited about being uncomfortable. That's where the exciting stuff is. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the key thing that you're saying is like, don't be too scared to just try. Like you will be given grace on the other end, even if it doesn't land right. Like people will appreciate that you made the effort to do something different and be uncomfortable. Absolutely. And, and, and to add one more to that, especially if you are 
on the high end, right, and the power end of the dichotomy, if you are a white, affluent, cis, you know, heterosexual male, why are you worried about whether you will get grace or not? You're literally allowed to rape and pillage and colonize and do whatever the fuck you want. Right. And we've seen it time and time again. And I'm not even talking about just Napoleon. I'm talking about last week. I'm talking about today. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, we love you. So it's right. like, what are you, what are you, what are you worried about? Like- I, I get it. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? You're a woman CMO and you're a little bit worried. Like, okay, you got a little bit to worry about. Not a lot of bit to worry about, but a little bit. Yeah. But if, if that's not you, and you can do whatever you want, literally. You know, we can get into examples of how crazy it could be. What are you even worried about? This is a perception that you just had in your head that you can't do. You can't error in these areas, but you can error as any way you want when it's your own personal agendas and it advances yourself. And that seems hypocritical. Yeah. It's like no one's ever called you out before. So what are you worried about? <laughs> when we have the facts and the evidence that someone has aired, we're still sitting there being like, I don't know. They seem like a nice person. It's like, OK, <laughs> OK, <you know? laughs> what are we talking about? Well, before we go, what is one thing that you want people to know about, like coming to Black Week, what they can expect and why they have to be there? Yeah. To, to quote to quote my man Marshawn Lynch, um, we about that action, boss. You know, so uh, the one thing is that is an opportunity to put action to paper, um, and so you got to be there if you want to be a part of shaping that. If you want to be a part of helping that, if you have an opportunity that you know people deserve, the question is, what do we have to do during this week for you to sign a paper by the end of the week? Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andre, for coming in and chatting. Absolutely. And, thank uh, you for having me. I'm excited to see what you guys put together in the fall. Absolutely. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.